Welcome to Montgomery Talks. I'm Doug Tolman, senior reporter at Montgomery Community Media. And today I'm speaking with uh, Joseph Roundy, who is the cybersecurity program manager at Montgomery College. He's an adjunct professor. He's been doing that for five years. And for the 10 years before that, he was in charge of uh, IT security on the campus. For the college. For the college. Okay. Thank you very much for joining us. Sure. There's been an awful lot about cybersecurity in the news, and I wanted to get your take on on things. Um, and I guess the latest thing is this Capital One data breach. A yeah. hundred million customers um, in the U.S. are affected; another six million in Canada. A hundred and forty thousand social security numbers have been apparently collected, as well as eight thousand, eighty thousand bank account numbers. Mm-hmm. 140,000 out of 100 million sounds a bit low, but apparently the person was able to also get names, addresses, zip codes, phone numbers, email address, dates of birth, and self-reported income. Um, Now, the person has been charged. I guess that's how we know all this data. Now, it would seem with even if roughly uh, 99 million people but we have the names and the dates of birth, it seems like there's an awful lot of evil that could take place just with those two bits of data. Well, there is. Using that data along with other data they may be able to compile, someone could commit identity theft, which is the biggest risk to individuals. And then uh, the perpetrators would take out loans, take money, whatever, and that leaves you to, uh, as a a victim of that, you have to clean it up, clean up your record. So that's that's the biggest threat there. So what, what should we make of this? It just seems like there's an awful lot of these kinds of breaches happening almost on a fairly regular occurrence. On a regular basis, yes. And people like me, and you've heard this time and time again, there's a litany of things that you can do to protect your information. And I can rattle off a list of 10 or 12 things if, if, if that's what you want, but you can find them almost anywhere. We need to change our mindset from we're going to protect our data, our personal information too, it's already been compromised. If you've had a background check, if you use a credit card, if you do anything online, if you use social media, your information is out there. Someone has it. Even if you've taken the steps to protect your information, you forfeit that when you, the protection of that information when you give it to somebody else. So you do legitimate banking and buying and, and whatever it is you do on the, on the internet. You're trusting that, in this case, Bank of America or Home Depot or Target or and rattle off a list of the companies that have lost the data. We're trusting that they will protect it. And they have shown that they don't. They can't. They won't. They're unable. They're unwilling. So we need to change our mindset. We need to continue to do those, take those steps to protect our information. But we also need to change our mindset to, I assume that it's already been compromised and watch out for those things that would happen knowing that someone has my information. So you check your, your credit card statements, your bank statements, you check all your activities, you check your credit reports. In the state of Maryland, you can get your credit report, I believe, two different ways, but you can get it twice a year. So you want to check your credit reports. Do you want to do things like use your credit card instead of your debit card? Because there are much greater protections if you use credit versus debit. But again, we need to stop focusing on protecting our data solely and focus just equally on what would you do if you had my data? what might be the results of that. Mm-hmm. Well, I, do you get the sense that the various corporations and, and even governments that, are, that have had these breaches, are they taking data security seriously enough? No. Every organization that I've heard 
or that I've spoken with, they say a number of things. They wrongly say this, this will never happen to us or will never happen again. You're foolish to make such statements when you don't control everything. So I can't say that I'm, I'm never going to have a car accident because I'm a safe driver because I go on into public streets and there are other people driving, so there, I may be involved in an accident. So to make those statements is, is, is foolish. They also say that they will take every step possible to protect the data and that information of their users and their customers, but then they don't. Uh, I've been in situations where it's there's been a breach in an organization I work at, and they say, well, what can we do? And I say, you need to do A, B, and C, and they go, uh, that's going to cost a lot of money, and that's going to inconvenience our users or, our, or whatever. So they back off on the everything you can do. Now, everything you can do is going to be quite costly, right? If you wanted to apply every security tool, uh, you could rack up quite a bill. And to some degree, it's a business decision. Do I want to spend a million dollars to protect $100,000 worth of assets? The answer is no. So you spend less, number one, and you assume the risk. The other problem is people. Uh, we have to put our trust in people. And more often than not, it's uh, a mistake on their part, or they make they do things ignorantly or wrongly, and the data becomes compromised. Uh, and sometimes it's more malicious. But I don't think that companies take it seriously enough, and until they are significantly penalized so that the cost of not doing this is significant enough so they will apply the, the, the funds, the resources to protect it, then they'll continue to do what they're doing. Somewhat of an analogy is credit card companies will talk about how there's credit card fraud, and they are, they're combating it. But the bottom line is they they know there will be credit card fraud, so they, it's a cost of doing business. So they're very quick. If you notice a fraudulent charge, you call them up and say, that's not mine. And they take care of it. They'll complain about it, but they'll write it off. Mm-hmm. How do we make it so that they do take it more seriously? I mean, is it going to take legal action? Is it going to take a lawsuit? Is it going to take you know, Congress? Is it going to take the, a state to, to, to just kind of wield a big enough hammer that even you know Capital One will will wake up and say, oh, well, I guess we got to do this differently now. I think it's going to take a significant loss of business and revenue to the organization that compromises, gives up the data. I think that laws and penalties are generally ineffective. Recently, um, Facebook was fined $5 billion for selling information they had garnered from their users. And the charge is, well, you didn't tell your users that you were going to use that data and sell it, et cetera, et cetera. And when you or I look at $5 billion, we go, oh, that's a lot of money. Uh, but last year, Facebook had $55 billion in uh, revenues and 20 to $25 billion in profits. So while $5 billion is a lot of money, it's a minor tick in a one-year cycle. And then when you look at Facebook and social media, the value of them is the information that they're gathering on their users. So they've been fined for doing what effectively is their business model, gather information and sell it. So they have to figure out a way to they'll pay the fine. There's also some uh, stipulations as to what they will or will not do going forward. And they'll figure out a way around that and continue to do what they're doing because they're in the business of selling information. Well, on a different front that also deals with uh, cybersecurity, and that is um, the 2020 election. The Mueller reports came out detailing how foreign governments were trying to affect the election. It doesn't seem as though there's going to be a whole lot of action by Congress. Bills are sitting on uh, Mitch McConnell's desk waiting to be voted on, passed by the House. Senate doesn't seem to be interested in it. Will we be able to trust the results of the 2020 election? 
I really don't know. I think <clears throat> this type of manipulation, if you will, on elections has been going on, you know, for centuries. It's just in different ways. Now we have the, the Internet and all these resources. Sure. If you read the Mueller report in volume one, it stipulates how the Russian hackers, which I don't like the term in this particular case, gained access to this information. And I read it and stayed awake for most of the reading. And what I gleaned from that is there was two specific users within the Democratic National Committee that fell prey to phishing. So they, the, again, we're back to the user. The user got an email. The email said, I, you're out of email quota or, or something. Log on to this site. Give us your credentials and we'll grant you more, whatever it is you're out of. You give up your credentials to something and then, you know, Right. All is lost. You may you might have the greatest security system at your house, right. but if you put the key under the doormat, or you tell the UPS guy where the key is, or somebody who asked for it, then you know it does. It's of no. What I think, my my angst with the whole this whole investigation, and certainly what was definitively stated, is that there was little responsibility in the report placed on the social media companies that gave, willingly gave up information at a price. And little responsibility placed on the users who allowed themselves to get compromised and therefore that access to that information was. And what we need to do as, as voters, as citizens, is to be more vigilant on that. We need to be smarter. Whether you believe the news or not, whether it's, it's fake news is real or perceived, and there's, there's something, there's some real, there's some fake, there's, and there's some perceptions that I don't think are accurate. Uh, but we need to be a little more intelligent on what we read, what we see, what we hear. No offense to present company, but the media, uh, the way media reports is not always complete and factual. And viewers and listeners have to figure out what is fact and then form their opinion right. and what is conjecture and opinion and all right. that and then go from there. Right. Well, I mean, not to defend the media, but um, when it comes to something like cybersecurity, um, it's it's an extremely technical topic, and we're probably parachuted in, said cover a press conference, yes. Yes. and the person on the other end of the microphone may be using that as their advantage, right? By oh, sure. you know trying to say as little as possible using sure. as many technical terms that nobody in the room is going to understand. Watch um, Mark Zuckerberg's uh, interview uh, in front of Congress, yeah. <laughs> and I can, you know, being in the space and looking at the politicians, I'm, I can see the smirks on his face and responses, and I know he's kind of manipulating his words to appease whoever's asking the question, but right. he didn't actually say anything of value. Right. So what can we do? I mean, you say we need to be smarter. I mean, what are the dumb things that we're doing? Uh, we believe everything that's we hear in, on the Internet. Okay. You know, we believe everything that uh, is presented. Frank, again, we, we believe everything that the media tells us. We need to pull out the facts, try to put it in context and just be more intelligent about what we are uh, being presented. Mm -hmm. You say that cybersecurity is technical, and, and it is, but, you know, IT in general is, is can be technical. Your job is technical. As I look at the equipment here, I don't know why he needs 27,000 buttons to just record my voice. Uh, He's referring to Ben, our engineer, who's okay. sitting in with us just in case anybody's wondering. Um, but the biggest breaches, the biggest faults in all of this, again, come down to humans. Compromises, the vast majority are of them happened because someone fell for phishing, mm -hmm. because someone was sloppy, because someone had a weak password, right. because I gave out too much information. 
and this is not something that we can fix overnight or certainly in the next year or 18 months, however long it may be. So uh, I, I guess we just have to be more informed consumers. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it, getting back to the technical bit, the Capital One mm-hmm. story, uh, I tried to dig, dig a little deeper than I would normally. There's sure. a great blog, Krebs on Security, that you might yep. be familiar with. And even he kind of glossed over exactly how the person yes. managed to get this information. Yes. It had to do with um, a setting on the network that just was wrong. Um, right. Um, which it just struck me as he usually gets into the, the nitty-gritty details of, you know, well, jumper takes, switch is wrong, and, and correct. even he kind of glossed over it. But that takes time to figure it out. I can read, I read one or two articles on the breach, and I can read between the lines. Mm-hmm. And it would appear that an insider, someone who formerly worked there in one of their data centers as either an employee of uh, it was Capital One. Capital One. And, and I guess the, the data was being held on uh, Amazon Web Services. Right, right. Data farm. So it's it's held in the cloud. Uh, so from what I read, it was an administrator on the inside who had access to the system that housed the data, and either they or someone else did not properly configure it. This goes back to what companies can do, right. should do. And prior to being in my current role, as, I, as you stated, I was 10 years in uh, at the college as manager of IT security, but at 30 years of operational IT, there are things that operational IT people need to do to secure the systems, the network, and the mm-hmm. data. Right. And I would go to you as a system administrator and say, do A, B, and C. And you will say, I'll do A and I'll do B, but C is going to create a problem because it will prevent some other function from happening and it may not, it may not get done, which leaves some vulnerability in the system. So you take it to your, your, your leadership and you say, you need to do all of these things to properly secure it. Well, again, it's going to pose a, a problem that then some application won't work or some users will be whatever. Again, I suspect that what happened is that there was some settings within the uh, AWS and the systems that was housing the data that were lax that allowed this individual to gain access to that data and simply pull it out. What can we do? Again, you have to have people who not only understand IT, but understand security within IT to evaluate systems, tell you as the system administrator, the system owner, what uh, you need to do to better secure the data. And you need to go to the owner of the data, which is often you know, the head of the organization, and say, listen, if you don't secure the information, it's vulnerable to compromise. And once it's compromised, then, you know, cat's out of the bag. But it's ultimately up to you. In my early days in security, I would lose sleep over you know, things that aren't getting done. Mm-hmm. In my later days, I simply go to whoever, it's your data. This is what you need to do. You want to protect the stuff in your house? Lock your door, and then I'll I'll leave. If you don't lock your lock your door and your stuff is gone when you get home, that's that's on you. And that's kind of the uh, the attitude organizations need to take: is I own the data. I'm going to do what I need to do. I'm going to listen to my security person and make a business decision. Sometimes it is I'm going to do some of the steps, not all, because of the consequences of the cost. But understand that there are consequences that may come about if you don't properly secure the information. So what are, what are things that the end user can do? I mean, obviously, we, we hear about changing our passwords regularly yes. and whatnot. The, 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 the hassle becomes it's harder to remember a whole new set of passwords. And, yes, it is. You know, and a person's probably carrying. I, I can't imagine. I can't imagine. Oh, it's yeah. it's got to be maybe 100 when you figure it's your bank has got a password. You may have multiple bank accounts. You've got work. You've got multiple passwords at work. You've yep. got an, uh, an email password. How are we supposed to keep track of them all? And have them all be, you know, secure, which 
Well, there are many philosophies on that, and certainly back in the day, it's you know, passwords where you, you change your password with some periodicity and you didn't have that many systems to get into. Now we have, as you already alluded to, many, many systems and they all have different periods that you have to change and they have different password strengths and requirements. So you can't use the same one, not that you should. I remember a very long time ago when this the use of single sign-on came about, which is I just have one username and one password and that allows me to sign on to everything. Mm-hmm. And this is a 20 to even 30-year-old concept. Problem is that the vendors go off and do their own little thing. They don't adhere necessarily to the standards. They think that what they're doing is better, so it doesn't apply. The analogy of the uh, the sticky note, right, with all the passwords on it, people, right. well, you don't want to do that. Right. But there is a tool, or call, there's several tools, they're called password managers that you actually can keep on your phone, let's say. And it is a single source where you put all your, your accounts and your passwords, and it is locked with a password. Now the problem, two problems there are is if someone gets that single password, they now have all my passwords. Or if you forget your password, now you have none of your passwords. But given the state of the way things are today, that's probably the best way to go when it comes to managing your passwords. Have them in a secure location uh, that only you can access so that when you need your password, some of them you use on a daily basis so you remember. Some of them, you know, I have accounts that I access once a quarter or whatever. I'm like, well, which password did I use that time? Then I got to change it. So probably the the best way to manage passwords is with a password manager. Now you are trusting that the creator of that application isn't (laughs) taking all your information and sucking it back into their organization. But again, we go back to the monitoring access to your your accounts and, and whatnot. You know, there are the the usual things that the users can do on the end users can do, you know, along from making sure that all your software is current or reasonably current, turning on your firewalls, turning off file sharing. Uh, We spoke about passwords. You can encrypt your data on your machine. So if someone actually gets access to your machine, they're getting uh, encrypted data. Back in the day, that presented a problem because it slowed down everything. But today, the systems are pretty good and the, uh, the encryption algorithms are fast. You can lock down your social media accounts or simply don't use social media, which I'm sure some people would never not do. Uh, watch out for the phishing. Well, how about you? Are you on social media? I only use, I've only, I'm only on one, and that's uh, LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. And I I joined many, many years ago, and I, to some degree, regret it today. <laughs> uh, because it started where, you know, you could communicate professionally sure. with current, former peers, colleagues. Now, on a regular, every week, I'll get emails from people trying to sell me stuff right. and emails from people trying to hire me. So it's, it's kind of annoying, and I need to figure out better ways to lock it down. My understanding is that with other forms of social media, you can lock it down so your information is not out there. Social media, in my opinion, is a significant security concern. It's also a significant cultural concern, but we probably won't get into that. But what else can you do? I think I've touched on pretty much everything else. Uh, when you go into Starbucks and McDonald's and you use their wireless, just know that that's a public wireless. And it's probably not overly secure or secure at all. If you and I were in Starbucks and you were doing things, I could grab the actual packets that are going from your laptop to their wireless access point. And if they're not encrypted in some way, shape, or form, then I could access you know, your communication in and, out, and or out. I have one password system that I'm wondering what you think of. It's like when you talk about the people, that uh, the, the sites you go to once a quarter, I've gotten to the point where I don't even try to remember the password and just hit forgot my password and yep, just kind of go th- and then reset it yep. each time. It seems like it takes an extra couple of minutes, but mm-hmm. it's a lot easier than trying to come up with a password that I'm going to remember three months later. Right. Uh, and I do the same thing. Okay, good. And I'll take 
a password and use variants of it. I'm of the mindset now, although the technology would not support this, that instead of having multiple passwords and changing them every six, nine, 12 months, have one really strong password that you change less frequently, if at all. Mm -hmm. But that will require everybody who requires a password of you to adhere to the same standard. Mm -hmm. And I don't see that happening in my lifetime. The single sign-on thing would be great. I call it the, the Max Headroom scenario. I don't know if you ever sure. saw Max Headroom. This was a long time ago. Sure. In that show, the main character had this cylindrical thing that he carried around with them, and he walked into something. Uh, his, his, if I remember right, perhaps his his, his apartment complex, mm -hmm. his bank, he used that, and then he put in a password. That's two-factor authentication, which the college has now deployed to some degree. But if every system would adhere to the same standards, we could use that same, you know, two-factor authentication is something you have and something you know. So I have this thing, mm -hmm. and, and I know a password. So those two things, that would be great. But again, that would require my two banks, my two credit cards, companies, my all my other financial institutes, all to adhere to the same thing so I could use the same sign-on. And again, I just don't see that happening. Organizations have deployed it, and the way you deploy it is you have an authentication server. You have a device that authenticates you. And then once you authenticate, you get a token, which then when you access all the applications, that token right. is passed to the application. The application trusts the authenticate the token because it was given by this authentication device. And then I've, I've logged in once and now I get access to everything. Right. All of your financial institutions, all your commerce sites on, on the internet, they all use their own. So there would have to be one place that all of this authentication happens and all of them would have to trust it. Then you have one place to log in, authenticate, and then you have access to everything. Not completely secure, of course, but the concept of recording 10 or 12 or 20 passwords obviously has its security problems. Right. right. It seems as though, I mean, you're in the catbird seat as a professor of cybersecurity. It seems like there isn't going to be an easy answer to these cyber issues for any time soon. And therefore, the person who's actually training the people, it seems like there's going to be a good job market for cybersecurity experts. Is that a... I think there is. There is allegedly some somewhere between 2,000 and 2 billion uh, cybersecurity positions <laughs> being posted right now. Uh, <laughs> well, the, the numbers are wildly varied, and I don't necessarily trust any of them. You may have picked up that I'm not trusting of anything or anyone in particular, but that's kind of the, why I do what I do. So there is job security. And when it comes to jobs, though, uh, I look at whatever number you wish to pick and say that probably 50 percent of those are not specifically dedicated cybersecurity jobs. Uh, everyone in IT that works in operational IT, and I can only speak of IT, I can't speak of your industry, but everyone that works in operational IT should get security training and should only do things in a secure way. Uh, install the operating system, install the applications, install, uh, input the data, et cetera, in a secure way. And if that were to be done, then we would be miles ahead of where we are. Operational IT people are often, often driven by their managers who want to get stuff done and get stuff working. And, you know, applying security fixes and features to that might slow the progress down. So do that later. And then later, obviously, never comes. But there are jobs for people who do just cybersecurity and organizations assess where their risks are and help them avoid the breaches. From a teaching perspective, it is very difficult to find people who want to teach. There are plenty of people out there who may have the knowledge. The problem is that 
teaching doesn't pay much by comparison. If you're in a position of high demand and low supply, then you're going to make more money. And stepping back and saying, I'm going to go teach a class for a few thousand dollars a semester, you know, I got better things to do with my time. So it's hard to get some people, it's hard to get those in the industry who we want to come and teach. Uh, they have to have a passion for teaching or, you know, be driven by something other than the amount of money they can make. So, yeah, th- th- there is a demand. And to some degree, as you say, I'm in the catbird. We are in the catbird seat. But it isn't without its challenges because there is demand on us to do these things. And there's just not enough of us. Well, this has been a very uh, interesting conversation, Mr. Randy. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. Uh, you're quite welcome. This has been Montgomery Talks. I'm Doug Tolman, senior reporter at Montgomery Community Media. Our engineer today was Ben Romero. So join us next time. Thank you very much. Thank you.